This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 140, Flashback, Spider-Man Hobgoblin Lives. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans podcast. This is episode 140. It's our flashback on Spider-Man Hobgoblin Lives episode. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. Welcome to the show. Um, so this is our third, I believe it's our third flashback episode. We previously looked at uh, Heroes Reborn and uh, Spider-Man, Spider-Hunt, and Identity Crisis. Um, so this particular episode, I, originally I was actually going to talk about um, a, a series from, I guess, early 2000s, which was Exiles. Um, partially because I was talking with uh, with our, one of our listeners, AJ Reese, about things that I could talk about in terms of flashback episodes or spotlight episodes, and he had mentioned Exiles, because I guess he's been uh, plowing through uh, most of the series that he found in, uh, I guess, a 25 cent bin, by the sounds of it, which is really awesome, because, I mean, that's a high-quality series to get for really, really cheap. Um, even in trade, it's pretty expensive. Uh, you can get the entire 100 issues in trade in about $150, um, which actually, in and of itself, isn't a bad value. It's you know, it's a dollar fifty an issue, um, which is pretty good. Um, but if you can get it for twenty five cents an issue, obviously that's much better. Um, but as I was getting ready to do the episode, I realized I wasn't quite ready to do a discussion of Exiles. Uh, part of that's because I haven't read a major a lot of it in a while. Uh, even though it's probably one of my favorite series, at least most of it is one of my favorite series. Uh, obviously, it had the latter years weren't as strong. Um, so in particular, I was originally going to talk about the first, I guess, 19 issues, which is collected in the uh, Exiles Ultimate Collection Book 1 trade paperback. Um, but I, I wanted to really take my time to reread it, so that will be for an, a future flashback episode, possibly episode 142, uh, depending on scheduling, which is it's quite possible that's what's going to happen. Um, so for this week, um, it's going to be a little bit of a shorter episode for... Uh, because usually for these easy, even-numbered episodes, they're a little bit longer, anywhere from 40 minutes to an hour and a half. Obviously, when it's just me, it's usually less than an hour. Um, I wanted to talk about uh, a miniseries from 96, 97. Uh, it's called uh, Hobgoblin Lives. Uh, it's a Spider-Man miniseries that was uh, published. It was written by Roger Stern, artwork by Ron Friends. Um, this is a really strong, strong read. Um, now, I want to, with all these flashback episodes, I like to give a little bit of a nostalgic uh, context um, in terms of, you know, why this story is important to me as a reader. Um, so, to kind of go back, I mean, when I was first kind of getting interested in Spider-Man, uh, it was a little bit later than maybe some of the other kids that I knew growing up. Um, I started kind of getting into Spider-Man around... I want to say 93, I remember picking up a few issues of Marvel Tales, which published some of the old DeFalco issues. I picked up two issues in particular, which uh, were the uh, Missing in Action Spider-Man issues, um, back from, I think, Amazing Spider-Man 270 or 280, around that area. Probably 280-ish, because it was after Flash Thompson was arrested on the assumption that he was more the Hobgoblin. Um, so I remember reading that. Not realizing that Marvel Tales was tales from much farther back in the past, but again, as a kid, I'm not necessarily thinking about that. Um, and also, I, I kind of went, it came into comics with um, with Maximum Carnage, which I'm going to talk about on a future episode as well. Not the greatest point to kind of come into a character, uh, you know, and and understand his world because it's, you know, it, it was for me as a as a new reader, it was exciting. But looking back on it, I'm like, that's not the greatest comics. Um, anyways, flashing forward, so I wasn't really, I was buying, um, the Uncanny X-Men and X-Men books around 94-ish, um, I was, 
really into it when um, Age of Apocalypse happened. I remember reading a little bit there in 94 and then in 95 with Onslaught happening. But I hadn't really jumped into Spider-Man yet. And my main foray into Spider-Man didn't really happen until just as the Clone Saga was ending. I think I picked up the last chapter of Revelations, which kind of ended the whole thing. And then you jump forward into... Um, kind of a new era, and I was predominantly reading Amazing Spider-Man, starting with issue 419. Um, it was around this time frame where I started picking up a miniseries called Hobgoblin Lives. Um, now, the Hobgoblin, for those who have a, a, a sense of the character's history, uh, he was a villain created by Roger Stern in the 80s. Um, probably the quintessential Spidey's villain in the 80s. Uh, what was so big about the Hobgoblin was that he was this character who... You know, instead of just doing another iteration of the Green Goblin, he was a different type of goblin. He wasn't insane, uh, although really only two of the three goblins at that up to that point had been. Bart Hamilton, not necessarily insane, but definitely deranged, but not necessarily insane. Uh, or at least not as insane as uh, as Harry, driven crazy by the loss of his dad and all the drug exposures he's had. And also his dad, which was, he was mind-altered by the original Goblin Serum. Anyway, so the Hobgoblin was a very different type of character uh, when he was created. He was, uh, you know, shrouded in mystery. This man who, um, basically, if you actually look at, I mean, look at the original comics, uh, and it was this really cool idea that, you know, this thug that Spider-Man is trying to pursue, he's pursuing, I think, four thugs, and one of them goes free and into the sewers, and he kind of calls it a day, which feels very un-Spider-Man-like, because that's kind of the whole idea of him being Spider-Man, is because he lets someone go free, but um, this one guy ends up discovering uh, one of the lairs of the Green Goblin, Norman Osborn, and then he sells the location to an unknown mystery man, who then kills him, uh, and starts to use you know everything that he's found to kind of create this new costume identity. Uh, along the way, he has he has a, a dupe, a stand-in, uh, operated as the Hobgoblin at first, which is a Lefty Donovan, who he then summarily uh, makes sure he gets killed by uh, a Goblin Glider automatically ramming into a building just after uh, he's um, unmasked by Spider-Man. And so it kind of... And then the next time we saw the Hobgoblin, he was... He was uh, blackmailing all these important members of society, including the Kingpin. Like he was a, quite an interesting character, especially under under Roger Stern. Uh, and then later under Tom DeFalco, uh, he became involved with kind of this vying for the criminal underworld with uh, with the Rose to plot against the Kingpin, uh, which eventually would culminate in the gang war storylines. And eventually they they killed off the character of uh, of the Hobgoblin, and he was or at least as the version that we knew. And that when we they killed him off, it was kind of established that he was actually Ned Leeds all along. And Ned Leeds was a long-standing cast member of uh, the supporting cast for Spider-Man. And also he was the husband of Betty Brant. Um, so him dying was a, kind of a, a huge moment. It took off, uh, I don't know, a long-running supporting player was taken off the board. Also, the Hobgoblin was killed. Um, you had a lot of messed up stuff happening because obviously that impacted Betty Brant. She kind of went a little bit crazy for a while. Um, in and around this stuff, you had Flash Thompson on the run because for a while he was suspected of being the Hobgoblin until uh, he ended up kind of being broken out of jail by Jack O'Lantern, Jason Philip McIndale, who believed that um, that Flash Thompson was the Hobgoblin, not realizing that there was a different Hobgoblin. All sorts of convoluted, fun comic book stuff. Um, anyways, so... Jason Philip McIndale, who was known as Jack-O-Lantern, and to come back around to some of the first comics I ever read by Spider-Man, in those Marvel Tales issues, the two ones I mentioned, uh, you had the Jack-O-Lantern, or Jason Philip McIndale, and he was, it was just as he was about to break out uh, Flash from jail, and 
so I was kind of coming in at a point where I didn't realize I was reading some of those from years earlier, but I knew who this Jason Philip McIndale was. So then when I heard that he was the Hobgoblin, that kind of made sense to me that he went from the Jacqueline and becoming the Hobgoblin. So this kind of gives you a background on where I was coming from as a reader. So then I start picking up this Hobgoblin Lives miniseries. And the whole point of this miniseries was basically Roger Stern coming back to Marvel and setting the, setting the record straight and correcting the, the, who the Hobgoblin was so that it was no longer Ned Leeds, changing the continuity, or not really changing it, but retroactively showing that it was never actually correct, and finally... Uh, once and for all showing that it wasn't Ned Leeds and going to his original idea of who the Hobgoblin was for better or for worse um, so I mean I look at this issue now and I'm just flipping through uh, Hobgoblin Lives issue 1 um, this is a very continuity heavy issue and again I was getting into Spider-Man um, the Hobgoblin that I knew was a very different version of the Hobgoblin uh, in fact I'd already dealt with Demogoblin in the Maximum Carnage storyline so I mean people talk about now about you know comics being a little bit difficult to jump into but they're always difficult and what i loved as a kid you know i love continuity because continuity to me showed that there's more there there was something more out there for me to discover to understand how all these pieces of this world really kind of all put together and worked to create this this tapestry of a history for this character and for me that was always exciting that was part of the thrill of comics um understanding how all these pieces worked um and, and this this was a continuity-heavy book. So much so, and I love that they did this. At the end of each issue, now, for this for the purposes of this discussion, I'm actually looking at my Hobgoblin Lives uh, trade paperback, um, which was published a few few years ago by Marvel. It not only includes the original Hobgoblin Lives miniseries by Stern and Friends, but also a follow-up storyline by Glenn Greenberg and Roger Stern, um, which reintroduces... The Hobgoblin uh, a few years later, after um, the Hobgoblin Lives storyline has taken place, and kind of sets that character up for being largely absent for almost the next decade, I think. Um, and this actually eventually will tie into what's going on in the current Superior run. So I'm actually getting to something current. Um, by the end of these issues, you had footnotes basically saying, you know, on this page, this is what was referenced, and this is what it's talking about. So... It's as much as it's continuity heavy. It's explaining where to find these markers, where to understand what's going on, uh, and I, I'm just such a huge, huge fan of this series. Um, it starts off with uh, again a, a classic moment, and I wouldn't have known this as a kid, but you have a, a goblin mask floating in the water, and it's Spider-Man remembering when he was originally dealing with the Hobgoblin and thought he just you know stopped him and was trying to find his mask under the water. This is all around I think Amazing Spider Man two fifty one, two fifty two. Um actually I shouldn't uh, I shouldn't guess when I have the ability to look at the bottom back of the issue and find out exactly that it was two fifty one of Amazing Spider Man. Um and in this I mean so the whole point of this this series it starts off with a jury is about to um decide what's going to happen to the Hobgoblin, who's the Jason Philip McIndale version. Um, publicly, it's not really known that there were two Hobgoblins at this point. Also, it's fun to go back and read this kind of stuff because, you know, at the I love reading comics in different eras because they have such a different feel. Like, if you read a, a pre-Civil War comic, completely different feel for something post. Um, you know, you read something pre-Secret Invasion, post-Secret Invasion, like all these different periods. What I like about this is it's, you know, post uh, Aunt May dying, so Peter and Mary Jane are actually living in the old Forest Hills uh, home that May, May used to own. 
Um, you have Jason Philip McIndale, the Hobgoblin. He had some ridiculous cyborg enhancements given to him during, I believe, the Blood Brothers storyline during uh, the Clone Saga. So there's a lot, a lot of kind of weird stuff that really dates this. Um, Betty Brandt is still kind of establishing herself as a reporter at this point. Um, I do like that, you know, it's been a few years at this point that the Hobgoblin had kind of been out of their lives. and But it shows that it's still on the minds of these characters. You have Spider-Man thinking about the Hobgoblin and that climactic battle they had years ago. You have Betty Brandt still freaking out about how Ned Leeds ended up being the Hobgoblin and what that means to her. And it's all tied into current continuity at the time because she's freaking out because she's reading you know these stories about the current Hobgoblin about to go on trial. So, of course, she thinks about her husband and what that did to her. Um, what I like about this, knowing now what Roger Stern was doing, is that he introduces a ton of old suspects back into the fold, uh, which who had actually been slowly seeded in uh, in the months previous. Um, like Jacob Conover, at this point, I believe he was being used over in Amazing Spider-Man, would eventually show up as uh, the new Rose, which is still a weird direction for that character that DeFalco chose. Um, I, I just like the idea that you have all these... Donald Menken, these classic Spider-Man supporting cast members who hadn't been seen since, in some cases, the Roger Stern run, uh, being reintroduced as potential suspects for who the Hobgoblin could actually be. Um, again, I love the continuity in this. Uh, you have Jacob Conover going to confront, uh, you know, all these police are uh, trying to guard Bacchandale as he's going to court, and he kind of says, you know, uh, word on the street says you weren't the first Hobgoblin. And that's when the cat's kind of let out of the bag. Jason Philip McIndoe reveals that Ned Leeds was actually the first Hobgoblin. Uh, so obviously Betty Brant is, you know, kind of under fire from everyone. So Peter turns into Spider-Man to kind of rescue her. Um, again, you have all these classic, you know, Donald Menken, uh, Senator, I think, Cargill. I can't remember. Oh, sorry. Senator Martin and George Vandegill. Again, these are old Century Club members from Amazing Spider-Man 251, 252, or thereabouts. Um... So the whole idea here is you have the, the Kingsley brothers, Roderick and Daniel Kingsley, are kind of worried about their p potential connection. Now, what's interesting is this is the first time we ever see Roderick and Daniel Kingsley on panel at the same time. In fact, up until this point, we didn't know that there was anything more than just Roderick Kingsley. Now, as a kid, I didn't know this. I'd never read the original comics. Um, I just knew that, you know, they were saying that there was this character, Roderick Kingsley. And I kind of knew about the character because... When I was reading, again, that same Marvel Tales issue, they mentioned Roderick Kingsley. Uh, now, going back, it's obvious that, you know, that he wasn't really supposed to be the Hobgoblin at the time. But you can see, still see that it was still being left open in case... Because at the time, DeFalco was writing it, so it was clear that he wasn't going to go in that direction. But it doesn't clearly say that it, it, it's not possible that he would have been that character. Um... Now, at the end of Hobgoblin Lives Number 1, you have the Eureka moment where Roger Stern kind of says that, you know, the original Hobgoblin stood up to Spider-Man and was able to beat him to a standstill, yet somehow Ned Leeds was taken out by a bunch of assassins and had his arm broken. Um, and, which, you know, it's not Peter David's fault that that kind of all went down that way. He was editorially mandated to write a sp specific story. But Roger Stern expertly is able to show, this can't be true, this can't be the Hobgoblin, uh, it's funny because it's Mary Jane that figures it out, and Spider-Man's like, wait a minute, what? You're right. Why didn't I think of that before? Which is kind of hilarious. Um, we then flip to uh, Great Neck Maximum Security Facility, where we have the actual Hobgoblin. At this point, he's wearing a, a fake beard and uh, a hoodie, and he just kind of shows up, and he, he, uh, he not only does he blast the, uh, the Hobgoblin, he actually chars his body with his finger blast, 
takes off and uh, turns back into the like puts on the hobgoblin uniform and flies away. Um, reading this at the time, it was interesting that it with the wrong coloring, sometimes the hobgoblin doesn't quite work. And Friends does a great job on the hobgoblin, but the colors could have been a little bit stronger when they have him triumphantly kind of appear again. Again, a lot of the series is filled with flashbacks, uh, building up the sense of you know all these characters have been involved with this this with the hobgoblin character and kind of showing what the hobgoblin is supposed to mean to Spider-Man because it's it's easy to say that ever since Jason Phil and McIndale had become the hobgoblin the hobgoblin as a character had been diminished uh, he was not nearly as exciting part of it was the mystery behind who the character was but also Jason Phil McIndale was never given the same level of respect that the real hobgoblin ever was or was given so it really impacted how that character was dealt and you could see that you know making him demonic and then splitting one part to create demogoblin adding these you know these these techno organic enhancements they were kind of ways of trying to make the character better because they they realized that he was just an ulceran he was just a copy he was he was jack-o'-lantern he was never truly the hobgoblin uh so at the end of this first issue of hobgoblin lives the true hobgoblin takes so takes his position once more uh and then from there we kind of move on so the rest of the storyline i'm not going to go through a, a blow by blow but um we revisit a lot of the the, the old clues um, it's really about who is the Hobgoblin. Even now that we know that it's Roderick Kingsley, it's still a solid read to kind of go back and see how they were able to piece it together, uh, see how continuity was all kind of building towards this revelation. And, um, you know, it, it's still quite strong, and it, it's incredibly enjoyable. Now, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about this series is partially because in Superior Spider-Man right now, you have the Hobgoblin playing a major role. And I was listening to uh, a great podcast, the Superior spider talk podcast and they were mentioning how uh, you know what is this enmity between uh, the hobgoblin and the green goblin well um, the best place to kind of find out more about that would be to read something called the spider-man the osborne journals which was released i believe in either very early i think late 96 uh it was published right around the time of revelations which was the ending chapter of the clone saga it's a well, as a kid again well I want to say as a kid, as a 13-year-old, one of my favorite comics. Um, again, I sh- it's interesting to me, some of my favorite comics around that time were the ones that were heavily continuity-oriented, uh, uh, ones that really used continuity, explained continuity, um, you know, really helped me understand continuity as a larger picture. And that's precisely what Osborne Journal did. Osborne Journal was a, a really well-done book written by Glenn Greenberg, uh, who was an edit- assistant editor on Spider-Man books at the time, and he wrote this fantastic one-shot that was basically written by, uh, or from, Norman Osborn's perspective as he was preparing for his big reveal at the end of Revelations where he confronted uh, Peter Parker and Ben Riley. And it kind of shows everything that happened after he, quote-unquote, died in Amazing Spider-Man 122, everything up until, you know, everything that was going on behind the scenes, how he was influencing the clone saga, what he was and wasn't... Um, part of what he had had a part in or not um which was it was just really really well done and in there he mentions that he hated the idea that this hobgoblin character showed up and basically pillaged his uh he was too busy with his own shit going on over in europe which i mean it was kind of a cop-out but you had to have some sort of reason why you know he wouldn't come back and kind of knock off a pretender because he's not a man to suffer fools he's not a man who would suffer someone stealing his his implements his uh you know his journals his work and using them to his own ends but it basically establishes that he had a real big bone to pick with the hobgoblin and really just didn't like him very much because he was a thief 
Um, it was also established he wasn't a big fan of Phil Yurik either because someone not only taking on, you know, his you know his material, but or in this case Harry's materials uh, to become a goblin, but he was actually a green goblin, but a heroic one. That didn't sit well with Norman either. Although it's interesting that now he's kind of allowed Phil Yurik to kind of be part of his cabal if indeed the current green goblin in Superior Spider-Man is Norman Osborn, which after this issue 26 certainly appears to be. Although not everything is as it appears to to be sometimes, which was obviously evidenced by uh, by the recent issue in terms of what was going on with Roderick Kingsley. So I, I talk about all of this because um, they reintroduced, so I mean, the, the idea of them having a feud between the two is later expanded in Spectacular Spider-Man uh, 259 to 261. Uh, this is, I guess, I think it's co-plotted. Let me just double check here. Uh, again, in this trade paperback I have um, so this, so these spectacular Spider-Man issues, they came out in, uh, 1998, um, whereas the other ones were, ni- were like, late 96, early 97, um, and I, I remember reading at the time, like, I haven't really been reading spectacular Spider-Man except for the Spider-Hunt and, uh, Identity Crisis chapters, but when I heard they were bringing back the Hobgoblin, I was all on top of that, I was, it was a storyline called Goblins at the Gate, I remember being so excited as a kid, uh, picking this up. Again, I'm not really a kid. I guess I'm like 14, 15 years old at this point. Uh, I remember being so pumped for this because, again, a year earlier I'd read Hobgoblin Lives, loved the continuity of it. Um, at the end of that story, though, Roderick Kings was put in jail, and that was kind of it. Um, and then it's kind of a weird. It's kind of a weird time to be a Goblin fan because you had Spider-Man 75, where Norman shows up, but then supposedly dies, and then. A month or two later, you have Hobgoblin Liz, where you restore the one true Hobgoblin, but then you put him in jail, uh, so he's not really an operating character. And then a year later, you bring back Norman in his civilian identity um, in Spectacular Spider-Man 250, and he kind of becomes a Lex Luthor to Spider-Man's, uh, you know, Superman in a lot of ways. Like he's the menacing businessman as opposed to being the guy in the in the suit. Um, but there is at this point a, gr- a version of the Green Goblin who is out there working for Norman, it would seem. So this three-part storyline, which is co-plotted by Roger Stern and, uh, and uh, Glenn Greenberg and scripted by Glenn Greenberg, or worked by Luke Ross, um, is a fantastic story where basically you have Norman making the talk show rounds. He's recently been like kind of brutalized by Spider-Man, so he's kind of... Uh, coming out on the PR front, uh, he's put out bounties, etc. Well, Roderick Kingsley's stuck in jail, and he's not having this. He's not. He doesn't want to be cut off from his own financial empire while he knows that the Green Goblins gets to be out there, kind of you know doing whatever he wants, owning part of the bugle, and you know he just can't have this. So he lets it leak that through his lawyer and the proper channels that he, one of the original Osborne journals survived the original fire and he has evidence that Norman Osborne is still the, was the Green Goblin and that it wasn't someone else. Um, so Peter kind of gets wind of, of, the, of a prisoner transfer with so him, her, sorry, him and Betty Brant go to uh, monitor what's going on with Kingsley. Uh, Kingsley's uh, detail is attacked and he has uh, abducted by the Green Goblin. Spider-Man tries to prevent it but is unable to because Basically, Kingsley wants to be um, taken away by the Green Goblin. He wants to come face to face with Norman Osborn, um, and when he finally meets Norman, he meets, he realizes that Norman's not actually acting as the Goblin at this point. Um, Goblin kind of agrees to kind of work with the Green Goblin, and he would give him access to his company, etc. But all along, I mean, Kingsley just wants a way to get back at, at Norman. Um, there's a point in here which is great where. Um, 
you know, Hobgoblin's able to abduct, not abduct, he's able to subdue Spider-Man, and he's about to unmask him, and then the Green Goblin stops him, and then, so they bring Spider-Man back to their home base, and, Nor- and Norman basically totally brushes off the idea of finding out his identity, and, uh, which is just great, and I, I love the idea that when Green Goblin's like, wait a minute, you, you already know, like, why couldn't you tell me this? And then it all gets revealed that there was no journal. Uh, all the entire time, Roderick Kingsley was just trying to figure out a way to get out of jail, and uh, he had no intention of actually having any journals to blackmail uh, Norman with. And um, and and Roderick Kingsley is basically like, "You need me. You need me in order to get my financial holdings." And then this leads to one of my favorite Osborne moments of the '90s, where Norman kind of takes out some documents and just throws them in Kingsley's face, saying, "Too late. It's already done. I've taken control." And uh, Kingsley's like, "What? These these are photocopies of voting proxies for my board of directors and transfer of ownership papers, giving you principal ownership of my companies. But how could you have accomplished this so quickly?" And then I love this panel. Uh, Ross does a great qu- uh, close-up of just half of Osborne's face. He's got his eye. There's some shadow there. A great sneer. And he just says, I'm Norman Osborne. As if, you don't fuck with me. I'm Norman Osborne. I'm the Green Goblin. You think you're better than me. I'm the original Goblin. Go fuck yourself. I've got this. Uh, I've got you. You you belong to me. You're nothing without me. Like, I just love that moment. And I just remember even as, like, a, you know, a, a, teen, a young teenager, I was like, holy shit, that's badass. Then they have this kind of cool throwdown. It's not costume on costume battle, but you do have Norman in a business suit trying to take out um, um, Hobgoblin. A giant fire breaks out. Uh, and there's a, a really cool moment where Norman can't have himself be caught in this in this area where the Hobgoblin was because of all his suspected ties to being the Green Goblin. So in his way of trying to escape, he comes across a Green Goblin mask that was ripped off of his Green Goblin stand-in. So he <laughs> jumps on a Goblin glider and flies off wearing his business suit but with his uh, Green Goblin mask. And I always love that visual. And that was kind of the end of that of that storyline. And it. Where it all leads off is uh, Roderick Kingsley takes off, heads to a Caribbean island of Isla Suerte, and he just decides he's going to live out his days there. Um, he's got no financials to kind of go back to, and that's kind of the last we see of the Hobgoblin for a very long time. Basically until Big Time, when Dan Slott brings him back. Um, and I remember reading Big Time, and I was so upset, uh, because Phil York, first, excuse me, first of all, Phil York suddenly has powers, which I don't like. The whole point of him, and I'll get this to this in a future flashback episode, is that Phil York got powers because he was bathed in these in these Green Goblin formula, but he could only activate his super strength by using this Goblin mask. And using the Goblin mask, he had a lunatic laugh. He did not have any of those abilities on his own. However, in, in Spider-Man Big Time, uh, the opening arc by Dan Slott, suddenly he does have the lunatic laugh totally on his own. He uses it to disrupt the Hobgoblin and then decapitate him. And at the time, it would appear that it was Roderick Kingsley. It turns out it was just a stand-in. It was actually Daniel Kingsley and Roderick's brother, which was, thank God for that, um, because I was so upset. And I was like, I remember actually tweeting at that time, I think, to Dan Slott directly. I was like, you got me. Um, I didn't see it coming. I should have realized it, that this could happen. Uh, you got me, um, and I was impressed because whenever I, f- I feel like you know we're such jaded comic book fans, and whenever I get surprised or actually, you know, one gets slipped up over me, I'm I'm suitably impressed because you know uh, same thing happened happened when Ed Brubaker killed off in quotations uh, Foggy Nelson during his uh, Daredevil run. I had no reason not to believe it, but at the same time, every reason to just to not believe that he'd actually killed the character. There was no body. 
but it felt so definite. Um, it just it didn't feel like it was a fake out, and it was, and it was brilliant because then when you realize that it was a fake out, I honestly didn't see it coming. I was like, holy shit, he got me. Um, so I love those moments where a comic book writer really gets me with a surprise. Um, so yeah, so that was a big surprise, and then. So Roderick Kingsley's back up and running. Uh, he's had Phil Yurick working for him ever since, I think, Danger Zone was the name of the storyline. It was just before uh, 700 happened. Uh, and then in the Superior storyline, you have the idea that you have all crime kind of being consolidated under the Goblin King. But then you also have the original Hobgoblin, Roderick Kingsley, trying to kind of run his own shit as well. Um, and then issue 26 was kind of this big confrontation between the Hobgoblin and Green Goblin, which didn't quite work out the way I expected. It was... That's something I'm going to talk about in next week's review episode, episode 141. Uh, I'm not sure how I felt about the issue. I think I'm going to have to read it a few more times because uh, there's some really strong elements, but other elements that didn't quite work, but at the same time was very true to the Hobgoblin legacy. Um, anyway, and one thing I actually want to talk about the Hobgoblin as well is uh, it's always been interesting to me that the Hobgoblin did not... Sh- he, that he showed up first in the Spider-Man animated series in the 90s and the Green Goblin came second. It was always weird that it was kind of weird and backwards. Uh, even then I knew that the Green Goblin came first, even having only just a cursory knowledge of Spider-Man comics. I still knew that one aspect. Anyways, that's been our episode. As I said, a relatively short one, and I actually, to be honest, don't think I spent a lot of time actually talking about Hobgoblin Lives, but I realized looking through it, it's actually really hard to talk about in terms of a kind of step-by-step, because so much of it is flashback panels and seeing what was happening before and this slow reveal of this character... Um, but it's it's a very entertaining uh, miniseries. I don't think it's hard to find in terms of the singles. Uh, it's probably, you could get it really cheap. Uh, the trade paperback's nice. There's an out-of-print Hobgoblin Lives trade paperback. Um, there's also a more modern one, which, as I said, has the Goblins of the Gate storyline from Spectacular Spider-Man by Glenn Greenberg. Um, I, I'm just a huge fan of the Hobgoblin character. I mean, I'm, obviously I'm a huge fan of the Green Goblin as well. But there's just something about the Hobgoblin I've always enjoyed. Um, having gone back and read a lot of the old material, uh, for fans of the original, um, Hobgoblin, there is a trade paperback that's out that collects a lot of the original Roger Stern material, which is, uh, let's see, it's called The Origin of the Hobgoblin, and it includes Amazing Spider-Man 238 to 239, 244 to 245, and 249 to 251, although also all of Roger Stern's, uh, Spider-Man, uh, Material is also going to be reprinted in an amazing Spider-Man. Sorry, Spider-Man by John. Oh my God, I can't speak today. Spider-Man by Roger Stern Omnibus, which comes out about in about three months, I think. Uh, which is definitely something that I've already pre-ordered and I cannot wait to read. Um, also, the not the current, but the next Sp- Amazing Spider-Man Epic Collection is called Ghost of the Past, which will uh, have some additional uh, Spider-Man material, I believe, from issue 52 onwards, uh, which will have some more classic Hobgoblin stuff, not just uh, what was going on in Amazing at the time, but also in uh, Spectacular and Web Of. Um, So that's something to look forward to as well. I'm really excited about the eventual uh, epic collections that will have more of the Tom DeFalco run for the Hobgoblin issues. I mean, I think the epic collection only goes to like 272, but I'm excited for the one that includes the Gang War, uh, basically everything up until his departure from the title and Peter David's you know issue two that he did, and then you had David Michelini come on board afterwards. Anyways, that's uh, that's been our episode. Thank you for joining me. Um, I hope to get a, a, another guest on to the show soon. Um, I enjoy doing these solo episodes, but I know they're not quite as exciting as having uh, me argue with someone else. Uh, 
because I, I hope to have a variety of people at some point. It's just harder uh, with schedules and, and whatnot, but uh, hopefully that will happen soon. Uh, anyways, if you want to send an email to the show, you want to suggest future ideas for flashback or spotlight episodes, um, I'm always in the market for uh, good ideas and things that I could do in the future. Uh, top five episodes or favorite episodes, I'd love to do those. Um, so email me at comicshenanigans at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook. Um, also, you can post in the HC Wellness thread for the show. Please rate and review us on iTunes. Um, and yeah, and, and again, any material you want to submit for the show, I mean, that'd be great. I'm happy to include it. Uh, so thank you for joining me. Uh, this is Adam Chapman signing off for Comic Shenanigans, episode 140, and uh, I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.